You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. But the other side to it is the market is hungry for exploration. Like if you look at some of these um, news releases that have come out with these high grade gold and silver hits and the companies have moved up, you know, double, triple um, in response to these these discoveries. And I think, you know, if you find the right exploration company with and for me, there's a bunch of criteria that I want to see. I think that there's some tremendous value out there and potential in a market that's willing to pay for discovery. This is Mining Stock Education, and I'm your host, Bill Powers. Thank you for tuning in again today. Today's show is brought to you by GR Silver Mining. The ticker symbol in Toronto is GRSL. On the OTC, you can find it under the ticker GRSLF, and in Frankfurt, GPE. And this is a Mexico-focused silver exploration and development company that's advancing and developing silver and gold projects. They have hit some recent discoveries of high-grade silver gold veins. And to learn more, go to GRSilverMining.com. My guest today is my friend Brian Lenny over at juniorstockreview.com. If you're not familiar with Brian's website or subscription service, head on over to juniorstockreview.com. You can also follow Brian on Twitter at junior underscore stock. So Brian, thanks for coming on the show today. And I'd like to start off by getting your thoughts on the gap down that we saw in Northern Dynasty yesterday. I mean, that was just kind of... I actually... It was breathtaking, actually, to look at the gap down, a 45% gap down. And when you look at the chart, you're like, wow, a lot of people lost a lot of money very quickly. What is your thoughts on this? It was due to the speculation that President Trump somehow was going to put resistance to the Pebble Project up there in Alaska. And so what are your thoughts and are there any lessons to learn here for speculators? First, uh, thanks for having me, Bill. Um, second, you know, actually I wasn't even following it. You know, I've, I've been, (laughs) I've been seeing the headlines about Northern dynasty and, uh, I pretty much just ignore it to be quite honest. Um, there was a lot of promotion for Northern dynasty going back a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, the same hurdles are, are exactly what they're trying to deal with today. And, um, given, given that promotional side, and the fact that I really think they're going to have a big issue getting around um, the environmental uh, hurdles. I haven't really paid much attention. Um, I think there's a lot of quality companies out there that don't have that uh, that risk. And that's what I've been focusing on. Because um, I think with Northern Dynasty, that company is either going to be, you know, sell for or it's going to be valued at you know 40 or 50 cents or it's going to be four or five bucks there's tons of leverage there but it's kind of uh um one or the other (laughs) and um i would rather not take on any of that risk um i think there's a lot of good opportunities out there that don't have that stigma attached it is a good trade though because if you we look at this year you could have made five to six times your money if you bought and sold at the bottom of the peak and then back in 2017 you had a similar um, opportunity and like you said a lot of it had to do with promotion although this time around it seemed like it there were some fundamental indicators in terms of um, you know the government saying you can go ahead and move forward with it so this move seemed a little more legitimate in my opinion but I would think that this would be a good example of one of those. If you're if you're gonna take a stab at it, 
as soon as the stock doubles, get your initial capital back. When you, this is like a um, a poster child for that, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And you know, like there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that speculation, right? If if people are are comfortable with the risk to reward, I think you know, go for it. Um, it's just for me, I I guess I view the market differently, and I've never really had much luck in in playing those high stakes speculations. For me, I like a degree of safety. Um, I like it in my view, I have to really believe in that degree of safety. Like is the, is the, the company that undervalued, um, to what their intrinsic value is? Um, do I realistically see that this thing could be a mine in the future? And like you, you bring up good points. Like there's, there's definitely some, some possibilities where like, I've even heard that they've, they're contemplating, you know, this alternative mine strategy, which is much smaller than the, the original. Um, but again, I just, with the environmental, with with today's society um, and uh, the outlook for the environment and and the other social issues, I still think these guys are going to have a really hard time um, getting this developed. So I, it's something that I chose to ignore. Brian, since we spoke last on this show, uh, the market has heated up, especially in early August, and gold reached all-time highs. So I'm curious to know if um, because of the speculative money and, and the marketing, how it can move a share price now, if that has at all changed how you consider taking a position. And I'll give an example of a recent conversation I had with someone in the know where they informed me. They said, Bill, when you're looking at a private placement or when you're looking at an early stage deal, just know that in this market, the minimum value of a shell is $5 million. So if you can get in anywhere close to $5 million before there's any marketing or speculation that will move the share price, before a, a genuine value creator could actually move the share price, you're probably getting a good deal. Uh, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, but for me, again, um, it's hard. Like, would I, would I put my own money into something like that? Yeah, I probably would. Would I recommend it in my newsletter? Probably not. And there's a big difference there. You know, I'm I'm probably more loose on how I would speculate with my own money, especially if I know the people involved in the, the these smaller um, projects. But even even ones like you kind of hinted at, at the beginning that, you know, the valuation is what it is, but they've got a, a promo package. And this kind of flows in with Northern, Northern Dynasty. Um, I would definitely probably or I would stay away from recommending that in my newsletter um, just because I think there's too many questions. Again, the risk is so high. F for me, I would rather focus um, on finding those companies that are undervalued. And I still think that there's a lot, you know, although we've, you know, the market has been great the last four months, I've still got, I don't know, more than a handful of companies that I look at that are trading for less than half of their value. And, uh, and that's, that's where I would definitely focus the newsletter. Um, but you know, with myself, uh, I think I do have a little bit of a high risk taste. And if I know the people, um, and I kind of have an idea of what the plan is, I probably would take some of those punts myself with my own money. Um, but it wouldn't be something I cover in the newsletter. So when you see value, would the primary value that you would see in this market be in development projects with exploration upside or producers? Where's the value in your opinion? I think it's across the spectrum. You know, it's um, it's quite amazing. I think the the promo has been so good for silver um, that silver bugs are are definitely the most forward looking within the sector. And, you know, that's pushed a lot of the silver stocks up into these these realms where, you know, I just can't touch. But I, there's definitely value on the gold side. And then there's 
I see value in some of the producers and the developers. Um, the developers is probably something that has an existing 431 resource or a technical report. Um, I think anyways, is kind of in my wheelhouse to be able to discern um, what the intrinsic value is. And of course, compare that to the market cap and then have a look at their cash position and how they can execute a plan to unlock that value. Um, because that's my, I think where my strength is, um, that's where I would, tend to focus my attention or have been focusing my attention. And I think that's always done me well, you know, to, to look and play to my strength. And I think for investors, I think that's actually a key point. Um, you know, I don't, I forget who said it, but there's, whether it's Buffett or somebody, but they say, you know, play to your strength, um, or invest in what you know, and you will always do the best you can when you're in that scenario. And I think it's absolutely true. It's something that, that I've, I've seen and, uh, and experienced. But the other side to it is the market is hungry for exploration. Like if you look at some of these um, news releases that have come out with these high grade gold and silver hits and the companies have moved up, you know, double, triple um, in response to these these discoveries. And I think, you know, if you find the right exploration company with and for me, there's a bunch of criteria that I want to see. Um, I think that there's some tremendous value out there and potential in a market that's willing to pay for discovery. Along the lines of the Northern Dynasty, would you consider a bulk tonnage, huge CapEx project that doesn't have a lot of the environmental and permitting risks that a Northern Dynasty would have? Oh, absolutely. You know, to me, the bottom line is just economics, um, whether it's bulk tonnage or like a high-grade vein project. As long as the economics are there, um, I think it's it's fantastic, and especially those projects that aren't being recognized. And maybe it's the bulk tonnage uh, projects that don't get the the um, attention from the market. You know, especially from the newbies that are in the sector, they're looking for those high grade, you know, five plus grams per ton intervals um, w- because they're ignorant to the fact that you know a sub gram per ton in Nevada or some of these other places um, can be just as profitable of mines because of the mineral processing and metallurgy standpoint and usually these are at surface so you can like you said you can open pit bulk mine these um whereas the high grade you know even though they're nice splashy high grade usually it's at depth and the cost of uh, of going underground is is typically more than open pit so it's always that contrast between the two and as long as the economics are there i'm i'm agnostic to the metal and agnostic to the the uh the mining type like to get your thoughts on selling at near-term peaks in gold. We saw one recently a couple weeks ago. And just as an example of the emotions that are attached to watching our portfolios go up and down, I purchased about $2,000 worth of Highcroft mining warrants, which expire in 2025. So this was just a couple thousand dollars thrown. I said, let me just forget about it, see what happens one day. And then about two weeks ago, I looked in my account. I'm like, oh, it's $8,000, 2000 to 8000 <laughs> I looked right before this interview, and it was under $3,000. So I was like, man, <laughs> you know, you know, I didn't need that money. And it's a long term, but I thought to myself, well, I wish I would have sold at 8000 and then bought it back now that it's a much lower price. Those are just some of the emotions, of course, that are attached even for long-term investors like ourselves. But um, how do you manage your emotions through these short-term peaks? And what are your thoughts about selling and capturing profits while you have the opportunity in a bull market? It's a great question and topic, you know, given where we are in the market. Um, emotion is one of those things that can even 
it can take a good pick that you make and you know make it terrible because you sell on an emotional response to a drop in price or or something along those lines. Uh, you know you can make money a, a variety of ways in the market, but for me, what I've always tried to focus on. Um, is myself and understanding how I react to stress in the market. And particularly, this has to go with, you know, volatility and swings and share prices and metal prices. Um, so for me, uh, the way that I mitigate the effect of emotion on me, and I should say, I, when I say mitigate, it's mitigate to a degree. You know, you can't eliminate it. And I still make emotional mistakes in the market. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I mitigate it by uh not trying to guess where the metal price is going. That's one big thing. Um, I think metal, the metals markets are huge, complex systems. And you can look at supply and demand, but there's so many inputs and outputs. Um, I've just found over the years that I cannot try to guess where the metal price is going. I have an overall uh, you know, 10,000 foot view on where the metal price may be headed. Um, and I, I, I keep, as long as that stays in place, then I, I'm, I'm okay. But I don't try to guess with those interim or short-term fluctuations. I focus on the company and the value proposition that that specific company, uh, poses. Um, and that set of criteria that not only the value proposition, but the people, the cash and, and all those important points, because ultimately no matter where the metal price goes, whether it's going to $10,000 or $5,000, um, it doesn't matter if the people can't execute. And, you know, some people say, well, bull market is a, is a tide that rises all boats. And, and that may in fact be true, but I still want to focus my attention on the best companies. And so having a set criteria that you can follow, um, and pick your companies in that, that sort of, uh, way and not try to guess where the metal price is going and recognize that the market isn't going to go straight up. It's going to be volatile and mixed in with all the stuff that we're dealing with in the world these days, a possible second wave of COVID, a very, very um, uh, controversial uh, U.S. election, which I think, you know, given the, the polarization between left and right, not only in the States, but in the worldwide, but especially in the States right now, whoever wins the U.S. election, you're going to have 50% of the population that's unhappy. And when you mix that in with everything else that's going on from a financial standpoint, I think there could be a lot of uh, the, the volatility on steroids and the, you know, that chaotic nature. So the, the moves in the market could be that much more. So if you can fall back on this sort of quantitative approach on how to pick companies, and then for me, the other component to this is a set of rules that I follow whenever I'm going to make a decision. I'm anchored by those rules and how I look at the companies. And that helps me mitigate that emotion that is overarching. And unfortunately, I think it's only going to be increased in this last quarter of the year. So then is there no commentary or analyst input in terms of the price action and precious metals that you take into your investing? Are there any commentators you respect or you just basically tune it all out? I try to tune it all out. It's impossible to get past all of the headlines, but it's just, I sit there and I say, okay, so there's, and there's definitely technical guys that I fully respect and I, I like to listen to them speak, but I don't, even though if, let's say I, th I thought that someone was correct and they said, oh, we're going to have a pullback of $200 in the gold price. Um, I don't think it, it, or it wouldn't change anything I'm doing in the market. Um, I sell on the way, like I'm always trimming my positions um, to have cash and de-risk, 
um, even though that I'm, I'm searching for value out there, which is, you know, a margin of safety in and itself. But I'm always reducing my position or my exposure to the market um, so that when those corrections occur, whenever they occur, that I can deploy more cash into new positions or add to positions. And it's just remaining constant in that, um, that I'm able to, you know, mitigate that emotion. Because for me, I think in the past, what, what happened was I would try to follow the metal price. And it's like, oh, you know what, I think it's going to go down for these reasons. And, you know, you feel that adrenaline rush and you're like, I'm going to sell this position in this position. But the, but the thing is, you know, a lot of these companies that we're invested in are just in the midst of the core part of their exploration programs. So you pull that money out thinking that this correction is going to be, I don't know, four months or whatever. And uh, you miss. And then the, the stock, they hit a great interval of, you know, 10 grams per ton over 10 meters. And you miss that that great jump. Uh, in the share price, basically, essentially, maybe the the hallmark of your investment thesis. So for me, you know, I, I again, I just try to remain consistent. I trim as I go. Um, I I understand the the plan for the company, and the, if I'm going to sell a position altogether, it's based on stuff through the company, not the metal. Isn't it Rick Rule who said something to the effect of "You've experienced the pain, now stick around for the gain"? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, like Rick is. Um, your interview, by the way, with him was excellent. And I, I think people need to pay attention to um, the things that he says, because, you know, he is at that pinnacle spot of, of what I think, you know, probably the, the perfect investor, or perfect mindset for the junior resource sector. Um, it be as un- unemotional as you can have a very quantitative view of what you're dealing with. Um, and you know, he, he, he outlines that all perfectly and he says it very well. So I, you know, when, when Rick speaks, I'm always listening to the why and how. Well, there's been a proliferation of royalty companies uh, in the last couple of years, especially relative to a decade ago when there was only a few of them. So when you're looking at a new royalty company that's popping up, what unique characteristic or value proposition does Brian Lenny want to see before you would put your money into that company? For me, I think the the ability, the success of a company is not only going to be like a technical part of a royalty company because you basically have two paths to follow, especially as a new royalty company. Either you're going to go after the producing royalties, meaning that stuff that is generating revenue, or more likely is you're going to go after, you know, generative stuff. So deposits that have a very early stage with a, you know, a, a small inferred resource or something with maybe a PEA, you know, very, very early in the development stage. And therefore, the technical acumen has to be, you know, very, very good. The team of people needs to be able to identify those high potential projects that will eventually translate that investment into a producing royalty, you know, five to 10 years down the road. And, you know, there's a couple companies out there that I think have the, the right teams that can do that. The, the second part to that, like I said, is buying producing royalties. And the, that again has, has technical acting because you want to make sure you're buying a good royalty or stream. Um, but I think what that more what what's more effective on that is who you know. So the network of people that are attached to that management team that can get you exposure to the deal. Um, you know, I've seen in a couple cases where you know knowing the right people, the right network. You have you know five royalty companies bidding on a on a royalty, and the one that ends up making the deal is the one that had the right strategic shareholder who had a connection to that company that was selling the royalty. And so I think if you can identify the royalty companies that have the right connections, that have the technical acumen, you can be successful or they'll be the ones that are more successful um, in growing their company. 
The side note to that is I also think the and as you know, the the royalty company that I just invested in um, has high growth potential. They're sub hundred million dollar market cap, and therefore, even if the deals are on the smaller side, they can still make a, you know a, a nice impact to their market cap or their valuation, um, given these small deals. And so, for me, the the company that I ended up going for is Elemental Royalties, and um, I went there because they have the right team. Um, with high technical acumen and access to deals. They've got Discovery Group that's involved with them. Um, and uh, they're going to be pushing for these revenue-generating uh, royalties to start off, which may take them into some um, you know, riskier jurisdictions. Um, but I think with the, with the things they have in place with management and, the, and the, um, the, the push towards buying producing royalties and the, the low market cap, I think there's tremendous growth potential. So that's kind of what I'm looking at um, and how I differentiate between the royalty companies. When you're looking at a, a junior and you're analyzing the share structure, which I think is one of the most important things for a speculator to do, one of the first things you want to do is look at the share structure, see what the float is, say if things go right, how much upside do I have here? And you always, you should do that on a fully diluted basis, which takes into account all the outstanding warrants. So how do you look at the warrant overhang, as we call it? You know, We can look back to Monera Alamos, which has just been on fire the last two years. But it only took off, even though the market started to become aware of the story two, two and a half years ago, it only took off after that, like, I think it was multi-hundred thousand uh, share warrant overhang came off. And then the stock just started to fly. It was almost like a textbook example. And I know this is kind of a long question I'm posing to you longer than normal, <laughs> but I, I have had this discussion with someone when we were talking with a company and a very informed investor, which we were kind of on different sides of the issue. And I said, as long for me, as long as the catalyst is strong enough to where I think that there's going to be enough interest and buying power coming into the stock, my greatest concern isn't the warrant overhang if I think the catalyst will be strong enough to elicit enough buying to kind of power through those warrants. I mean, what are your thoughts here, Brian? Could you share some insights? Yeah, I think generally, like if you, I'll say generally speaking, a warrant overhang um, can be very detrimental to uh, a, a rising share price. And, you know, there's one particular company that I can think of that it was a real concern for me moving ahead. They would, like you mentioned, they're really going to need to hit on their catalysts and the market's going to have to be with them to push that uh, share price through um, that warrant overhang. Um, but it, it all depends, you know, with you know, Monero Alamos, uh, Doug Ramshaw did a great job, um, not only from a technical point of view and how they executed on their on their action plan, um, but also in how they promoted the company. And he got the market's attention and he was very upfront about that warrant overhang. And I think that's what helped you know, propel that company forward. Um, but I think those are, those are, they're fewer than, you know, than the companies that have these huge overhangs and it, it ends up, you know, destroying it because they can never, um, you know, kind of get past it. And, uh, so for me, it's definitely, uh, it's something I look at, uh, and, but it's, I'm very specific if, if the company has got, um, a set action plan, I really have to believe that they're going to hit on their action plan to, you know, bust through that, that resistance. Um, the other side to it is what I would say to, to a lot of investors out there, you know, why not just wait, um, and see what, what happens? Obviously if there's a large warrant overhang, you know, just sit on the sidelines, let the company execute on their, 
on their action plan. And if they're successful, you know that's going to be met with selling. So I don't think you'll see the price go crazy. And it'll give you a chance to make up your mind whether you want to go in and um, and be an investor in the company or, you know, pass on it altogether. Um, and that's, you know, one there was one company in particular that I had in the portfolio and it was my first or second sell of the year. Um, they've got a large warrant um, package that's that's coming or expiring in November. And I decided to sell the company and wait, um, let them do the drilling, let the warrants be exercised, and then we'll take a look at it again probably in the new year. So that's kind of how I've approached it. You've been listening to Investing Insights from Brian Lenny of JuniorStockReview.com. Go check out Brian's subscription service if you're not familiar with it. And he also has a free email list that you can sign up on over at JuniorStockReview.com. Brian, as always, thanks for coming on today's show and sharing your insights. Thanks for having me, Bill. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty dollars or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks concomitant with that if you don't do the work or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too i just started to study up on mining stocks and i just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really you could do really really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly the mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.